I definitely was a pretty moody teenager <laughs> coming home in a wheelchair. You should ask your mom to compare it to her birthing experience. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, which was worse. <laughs> Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie. Sharing stories, empowering mindsets. Today's guest is a fellow Southern Albertan. Hayden Vare is a Canadian sitting volleyball player headed for the Tokyo 2021 Paralympic Games. Hayden's right leg was amputated below the knee following a mowing accident in 2018. Before her accident, she was a starter for the Kodiaks, which is the Lethbridge College soccer team. Since her accident, she has joined the Canadian sitting volleyball team and even competed at the 2019 Parapanam Games in Peru, where she helped Canada bring home the bronze. Hayden's accident and life as a para-athlete is fresh, and we're along for the journey. Her tale is full of twists and turns, and she takes us through it all. Full disclosure, if you're easily queasy with talk of accidents and medical procedures, like Lowell, you may want to familiarize yourself with the skip button and use accordingly. We hope you can tough it out, though. Hayden truly does have a remarkable story, and her strength and resilience is inspiring. Enjoy! Hi! Hello! Where are you chatting with us from? I'm just in Cardston at my house right now. <laughs> Good old Cardston. I was in McGrath today, so I wasn't too far oh, from no. you. Where are you guys living now? Lethbridge. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. This is, I know, jumping way ahead in your story, but I see you're wearing one of the Pan Am shirts, as is Lowell. Hey, and <laughs> I just learned today that you were at the Para Pan Am Games and we were there too. And I cannot believe that none of our Lethbridge local connections connected yeah. us. Like I was there. I could have cheered you on in Peru. Yeah, that's crazy. I know. I was very upset about it. My theory is I noticed mm -hmm. you had global following you. We had CTV. So... You know, competing news stations. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. But anyways, we'll get to that later. Okay. <laughs> so you were born and raised in Cardston. Yeah. And then you went to college in Lethbridge. And you tell us you were an athlete. Yeah. So I graduated high school in 2017. And then I had a scholarship to go play soccer with the Lethbridge College Kodiaks women's team. And so I played with them for a year. I got rookie of the year at the end of it all. Ooh. I was a starter my whole season and soccer's kind of always been like my biggest passion. I loved playing with them and was sad that my career got cut short. Yeah. So now you're going to have to tell us, spare no detail. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, don't make people like nauseous, but <laughs> I have heard your story like fourth hand and I was still on the edge of my seat. So I'm looking forward to hearing it from you. Yeah. Let's set the stage. <laughs> okay, I can do that. I'm going to tell you the story now. <laughs> so it was a nice warm July day. It was July 27th, 2018. And my mom and dad had gone into Calgary and me and my sister had planned to go to a family reunion that was happening out in Beezer at the time. So I was like, okay, I got to get some chores done before I go. I was like, I'll mow the lawn. Like, they'll be so happy about that. Oh, you're such a good daughter. <laughs> yeah. So I'm mowing the lawn and I get halfway through it. We have a very big, we own an acreage, like five minutes out of town. And so I get halfway done it and my whole life just kind of changed at that moment. You never realize how fast your life can change until it's something that happens to you. Within that second, I found myself laying on the ground, not really knowing what happened. All I could recall is something had hit me in my back and totally bucked me right off the lawnmower. And so I was there laying on the ground with my chest facing the grass. 
and kind of getting to my hands and knees and not realizing what had just happened. And when I look up and to the left, I see the lawnmower still coming at me and it's still moving. And so not having much time to react and still kind of being in the shock of what happened, I just started crawling because the lawnmower was coming right from my torso. Oh my word. So I start crawling away and it sucks up both my feet at the last moment. And you can already kind of imagine and picture the sounds that that mower was making. It shot my legs out the other side and finally stopped. And so I'm laying there in the grass alone and I just hear this mower just beeping beside me. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, what the heck just happened? Like not fully comprehending that I had just been ran over by the lawnmower. I look back at my feet and... I just see a lot of red and blood. Mm. Uh, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? It's both of my feet. And so then I start looking for my phone. I'm like, okay, like, where's my phone? Like, I need help. I can't believe you were still conscious and <laughs> yeah. like able to think about that. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I was very lucky with how well my body had responded to the situation. Uh, so yeah. I had luckily found my phone laying on the lawnmower. We have a Walker zero turn lawnmower. So there's a seat and then the two controllers are right in between your legs. So there's not much keeping your body from moving off of this lawnmower. So my phone had landed right on the deck of the lawnmower. And so I was able to grab it. And my first thought was like, okay, this is a situation that I can call 911. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, <laughs> you could it, say that. Yeah, It, it qualifies. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. think and that's so. exactly what went through my head. I'm like, okay, like this is a 911 emergency call. Like I get a call then this Can time. you believe if you called your parents first or something like, um, I'm not sure. Does this qualify for 911? I see my legs over yeah. there on the grass. Okay, carry yeah. on. <laughs> so I call 911. And I'm talking to this dispatcher and in my head, I thought learning from a kid, when you call 911, it just goes to your local police station. So I'm like, Hey, like I've been in an accident. I got ran over by a lawnmower. I need an ambulance. And I'm start explaining where I live because I'm out in the country. I don't know what the range road sign is. I don't know my legal land description. Yeah. And then the lady kind of cuts me off. She's like, we're from Red Deer. Like, we don't know where that is. Mm. I'm like, Uh what do you mean like can you transfer me to Cardston and she's like no like I need your address I was like well I don't know it like I don't know what my address is and she's like okay well can you get up and walk to (laughs) your road sign I'm kind of like freaking out and frustrated at this moment I was like I can't walk like my legs have been chopped up by a lawnmower (sighs) my feet are shredded Uh... and she was just going through her steps that she has to as a dispatcher And I just didn't have time for her. So I hung up the phone. (laughs) Mm. I was like, okay, I got to find help. I got to do something. And so then I start calling my sister because my sister lives just down the road. She was at home at the time because it was a weekend and we were planning to go to our family reunion soon. So I call her and she doesn't pick up. Oh, geez. And so I called my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, because he was at work. I can't believe you're on phone call number three right now since having, oh my word. Okay. (laughs) So I call him and he doesn't pick up because he's working. I'm like, oh my gosh. So at that time, the dispatcher had called me back, kind of gone through the same things. Like, I need you to find out your address. Like, I need you to go see the sign. And I'm still getting mad at her being like, my legs are cut off. I can't do that. (laughs) So I hang up with her for the second time and I try my sister and my boyfriend again and nobody picks up. Six phone calls in. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And then I see some vehicles driving by on the road. So I'm like laying on the ground and waving my hands and yelling for help. 
and nobody sees me. And mm. then somebody oh. is jogging and I was like, okay, like this is perfect. Like they'll be able to come help me. And she had her headphones in. So I'm yelling for help and she mm. can't hear me. Oh no. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I don't know what else I can do. Nobody's helping me. And how was your energy at this point? Like, did you feel like you were going to remain conscious? And were you quite with it or were you? Surprisingly, from my memory, I remember being very conscious and aware of everything. My whole life growing up, I've been very woozy with blood. Like I used to see blood, go into the hospital and I'd get lightheaded and faint. And so that was what was running through my mind the whole time. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, I have to get help. I know yeah. that I'm bad with blood. So if I remain here alone, I'm going to pass out and die. Like yeah. that's all that was running through my head. Sounds like your adrenaline took over. I'm like I have to stay focused. I have to get help. Finally, the dispatch calls me back a third time. And she's like, okay, we pinged your phone. The ambulance is on their way. I was like, okay, perfect. And so she's staying on the phone with me to make sure I stay conscious and keeping me aware. And she asked me, she's like, okay, like you might need to like take your shirt off or do you have something to tie your legs up with? And I look back at my legs again for the second time. I was like, well, they're not really bleeding that badly. I don't think I need to. Mm. So she's like, okay, that's fine. The ambulance will be there soon. And suddenly I see the ambulance just off on the road. I was like, okay, I see them. They're coming. And then they turned into my neighbor's house. <laughs> I'm oh. like, no, like they're going the wrong way. And at this point, I'm like panicking. I'm yeah. like, they're no going kidding. the wrong way. Like they're not going to find me. And she's like, okay, we'll talk to them. We're talking with them. And so finally they come in and my ambulance driver was somebody that I've known my whole life. Oh. My dad owns an automotive shop. So we fix all the ambulances. So I've got to know the guys pretty well. Oh. And so I see Spencer Olson. I'm like, Spencer, I need help. I've just been ran over. And at this point, like, I'm very casual. I'm not crying. I'm not emotional. Mm. I'm just like, I don't think it's too bad, but I can't move. And he's like, okay, sounds good. We're going to take care of you, Peyton. Just keep breathing. Stay calm. I said, okay. I was like, I need to call my parents. Where are we going? Because I knew the Carson Hospital wasn't going to be able to do surgery on me because they just kind of do minor stuff. And he's like, well, you're going to be airlifted to Calgary. I was like, airlifted? Well, this is intense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, yeah. just one second. I have to call my parents. <laughs> I got to tell them what's happened. <laughs> I called my parents and they're driving home. They're at High River at this point. And my mom picks up the phone. I was like, hey, mom, I was just in an accident. I'm going to the hospital and they're going to airlift me to Calgary. And I just hear her like scream and instantly crying. I was like, mm. mom, I'm going to Calgary. I'll meet you there. I can't deal with this right now. And I hang up the phone. Oh. <gasps> I can't imagine. It must have at least been comforting that you were the one telling her that. So she yeah. knew that you had enough presence of yeah, mind. That and... I was actually conscious. Yeah. So they lift me up into the ambulance. And right as they're about to close the door, my sister Shantae finally got all my voicemails. And she hopped into the ambulance. So my sister oh, stayed nice. with me the whole time. Then my story just keeps mm -hmm. going. <laughs> We're on the edge of our seats. Yeah, I know, this. man. Uh, so first they take me to the Carson Hospital and they just kind of start taking tweezers and cleaning up what they can. They're pulling grass out. I have pictures of me just like laying on the bed. Just I look like I just ran a mile race mm. or something. <laughs> I look exhausted. So were both of your feet off at this point? I had three toes showing on my right foot and 
I had all five of my toe showing on my left foot, but my heel was completely gone. And then oh. on my right foot, I had like the three toes and that was kind of it. The rest okay. was gone. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. so it was pretty just like a very gore kind of mm. from a saw movie image yeah i can picture that okay carry yeah. on <laughs> so they're kind of doing what they can put some ivs and stuff in, and then painkillers of course did you see your feet at that time like had you looked yeah. down and okay so you were seeing yeah, this they were like where... right in front of me at this point point. and what's mm-hmm. going through your mind so at this point i had told my sister i'm pretty sure that I needed to call my soccer coach and tell him that I wasn't going to be there for preseason. Aww. I'm like, I'm not going to make practice. I got to let him know. I think we were starting in like a week or two to start mm. training again for the season. Aww. And so that's kind of my thought now. This is a little bit more than yeah. just like a couple stitches. Like I at least have a broken bone, <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it man. wasn't like comprehending in my head that mm. it was going to be an amputation yet at that point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Finally, my mother-in-law comes in and she's kind of like panicking. She's trying to make sure I'm okay. And then my husband came in and he stayed there with me for quite a while too, keeping me calm. Mm. He was trying to keep his composure. Mm -hmm. And I just remember just seeing people that I knew instantly coming in through those emergency doors, just coming to see me, making sure I was okay. So then my ambulance driver kind of took the reins on things. He was like, okay, we can't keep her here any longer. Like she needs to go to Lethbridge or Calgary. Like we're supposed to be getting this girl in a helicopter to fly her somewhere. Mm. The problem that happened with my helicopter is there was a storm in Calgary. Oh no. They couldn't fly me up to Calgary anymore. And they're like, okay, well, we're just going to have to drive her up there. And then Calgary responded back. We can't take her. We don't have any space. They were like, okay, well, we got to go to Lethbridge. They sent me up to Lethbridge and looked over me there. I think they did like a minor stitching of veins and arteries to slow down bleeding. I believe I could be wrong on that. But I was in Lethbridge for a little bit and they just basically told me there's nothing else we can do. We don't have anyone to perform surgery for this. Finally, they got word from Calgary that they had a doctor that was going to take on my surgery and that they could send me up. So they drive as fast as they can up to Calgary. So you didn't get to ride in a helicopter? No, I never got my helicopter ride. So my sister was with me in Cardston. My parents met me in Lethbridge. And then my oldest brother was actually at a work conference up in Calgary. So he was able to be in Calgary. So we had one person at each hospital. So whatever the case, someone was going to be with me the whole time. Benefits of a big family, hey? (laughs) So nice. I finally got up to Calgary. I had an ortho doctor and a plastics for my surgery. That day that I got there, they kind of looked it over and started game planning on what they were going to do for my surgery. So I was up in Calgary for two days until they performed my final surgery. My mom said that they made models basically on where they wanted to amputate and what they wanted to do with my left foot, trying to figure out the best way to salvage kind of the most that they could. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So my accident was on a Friday. It had now been Saturday. 
they said, okay, Sunday morning, we're going to perform the surgery. We're going to have to amputate the right leg and possibly the left leg as well. And then he told me, there's a slight chance that I'll be able to reconstruct your left foot. Depending on how things go, I'm going to try and save it, but I can't guarantee that. Since I was 19 at the time, I had to sign the paper saying that they could go forward with this mm. surgery. And what was going through your head at that point? Honestly, my exact words that I said to him is, okay, where do I sign? I was just, mm. let's, let's just do, do this. this. Yeah. yeah. I was like, this is what's going to happen. I trust him. He knows I'm an athletic person. So I signed the paper and Sunday at 8 a.m. they rolled me into surgery. And I have a picture. I have family members. I have aunts, just everyone that I was close to behind my bed, kind of wheeling me out of my room mm. to go into surgery. Wow. That's special. The last faces that you see before you're out are all, all the special people in your life. That's comforting. Yeah. My surgery was supposed to be, I believe they told me that it was supposed to be 16 to 18 hours long. And it ended up only taking eight hours. Oh, I thought you were going to go the other way. Well, that's very impressive. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So it only took eight hours. My doctor, he told my mom that never in the history of his career has he ever seen a surgery go so perfect? Oh, wow. He said, every artery that I need, every vein, every bone is what I needed that was left from her right leg to reconstruct her left foot. Oh, oh wow. My tendon for my left foot had been cut in half. And so pieces of my right one were still remaining. So they took that right one and the left one and kind of twisted them together to combine one. So that's my Achilles tendon. They took my tibula from my right leg where they amputated and shaped it into a heel bone because I lost my entire heel bone. And then they took a skin graft from my left thigh to make a skin flap for my heel because I had lost all that skin. And they also put a skin graft right beside my big toe on my left foot because I had cut that whole side and then underneath all off. Mm. So they wow. did a lot of skin grafts. They took the artery from my left thigh and put it down into my foot for blood circulation because of all the veins and stuff that I had lost. And they were able to recreate my left foot. So I got to keep it. So I ended wow. up being a right leg amputee below the knee. And then I got to keep my left foot. Wow. That was amazing. Yeah, And just wow. the on the fly figuring out, it's like a puzzle, like a really super intense puzzle. Mm. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. And how is the foot now? Like, is it as functional as it was before? Have things kind of, do you have pain there or how does that work? With my surgery, it has never happened anywhere else in the world. Like it was something he oh. put together in his mind and he made it work. My heel definitely is a day-to-day -day struggle just because the cushion that you guys have in your heel, I don't have anymore. It's, mm. it's exactly skin to bone. Yeah. Great deal there. Oh. There's nothing in between for padding. But the first year after my accident, I did have quite a bit of problems with it. February last year, I was bowling with my husband for Valentine's Day. And I had put the hardware that they put in my heel right through the skin. And oh. so I had to be put into emergency for that one to get the screw taken out that I'd put through my skin graft. Oh, man. So after my initial surgery with my amputation and everything, I believe I had had eight surgeries done on my heel after that. Oh, just your heel. Yeah. So can they like put some kind of cushion in there? 
Like, what do they use for breast implants? Couldn't they put that in there? <laughs> I feel like that would be padded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my mom tried to come up with so many ideas. And that's one that she said. She's like, well, like they have boob implants. Can't they put something like that in her Can't heel? you just put a boob in your heel? Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what they told us is with the amount of impact that you have on your feet, it would just pop down mm. the road. Oh, yeah. I guess people don't usually put their full weight on their boobs. <laughs> And so that would kind of be worse for you later on. I know another one that they thought of was doing pig skin because it's thick and it's kind of like human skin. But they said with that, we didn't know if my body would accept it where everything that I donated to my left foot was from me. It wasn't from anybody else. So I didn't have to be on donor pills. My body accepted it great. Oh, that's nice. So far right now, I can walk on it. I can run on it. I can jump on it. Oh, wow. It's something that I have to be a little bit more cautious about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Sure. I'm just thinking about that surgeon. What do you think he does in his free time? Do you think he does like (laughs) crazy puzzles, like body puzzles, (laughs) figuring out how he would reconstruct different things in an emergency situation? Because my goodness, you have to be quick on your feet. (laughs) Pun. Yeah. (laughs) Quick on patient's feet. Or quick on your foot or something. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So the right one was amputated just below the knee. Yeah. And do you wear a prosthetic usually now then? Yeah. I wear a prosthetic all the time unless I'm going to bed. Do you have phantom pains or is, is that not always yeah. the case? Oh, okay. I do have quite a bit of phantom pain. It kind of comes in different stages. I have one version where I like to describe to people as touching an electric fence. So oh. it's just kind of like a constant Jolt. like shock. That one I usually have all throughout the day. Like you think about it and you're like, oh yeah, there's a shock. I've kind of got used to it throughout the years, I find. But yeah. if I focus on it, I'm like, yeah, it's definitely still there. And then I get another phantom pain that is actually quite annoying and frustrating. It'll replay the accident kind of on my mind and on my limb. Mm. And so I can feel my foot bleeding. I can feel things kind of getting cut. Sometimes throughout the day, I'll be like, my big toe just got cut off. Like I can feel it bleeding in my sock. And I can feel exactly where I'm bleeding from and what's being punctured or cut. That kind of takes your breath away. In the middle of the day when it happens. When I was in the hospital doing physio, we were talking about the phantom pain and how I was experiencing it. And she told me that with some people, if you put your legs straight out in front of you and then put a mirror Mm -hmm. facing towards your good leg, then it kind of tricks your brain thinking like, oh, your foot's there because you see two feet in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Like it's fine. It's just in your head. But with me, my left foot, we figured at least because it was so damaged itself. It wasn't working on me. I know some people it works, some people it doesn't, but that's kind of what we thought for me. Yeah. Maybe because I don't have a good foot. (laughs) Yeah. They put me on gabapentin and the painkillers, but for me personally, I have found that medication with pills doesn't do a whole lot for me. Mm. So as soon as I was out of the hospital, I went right off of medication. I was on gabapentin once. I had both bunions removed and both big toes broken and straightened at the same time. And I had a lot of restless leg stuff going on when I was sleeping. And so I was on gabapentin. But what did I complain to you about, Lowell? Like, I felt dumb. Like, my brain just <laughs> slowed right down. I was like, like A lot uh, of mental fog. Yeah, total yeah. mental fog. So I was, like, quite happy to get rid of those. So good call. Yeah. So, Lowell, remember how miserable I was? Yeah. The hers is, like, that times a thousand. Oh, mm. man, I can't imagine. <laughs> I find the more consistent I am being active and going to the gym and not eating sugar, it's a lot better for me. Doesn't that suck when it's like not eating sugar? Ugh, that helps. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So back to getting into activity. So you weren't playing volleyball before and then you found yourself on a sit volleyball team. Please tell me how you got to that. 
So the first interaction I had with it was in the hospital. There was a girl that I had played basketball against. We went to a tournament in BC and played against the hometown team. And usually with championship games, it's very competitive. And usually you don't like the other team. But some reason, my team and this team just had a really like good connection off the top. It was a good, clean game. And our Carson team had won. And we got a picture with the trophy. And then we had the other team come in with us to get pictures, which never happens, I feel like, in uh, competition. Yeah. So all of us girls on the two teams stayed pretty close. We shared each other's uh, contact cool. information and kind of connected throughout the years. And when I was in the hospital, one of those girls from the basketball team reached out to me and she's like, hey, my sister plays on the Paralympic sitting volleyball team. She's friends with a lot of amputees. She wants to come see how you're doing and like kind of tell you what life is like for them. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, yeah, like that'd be great. So she comes in and starts telling me about the sport that she plays. I'm like, so you sit on the ground, you sit on your butt, you don't wear legs Mm. and you play volleyball. How does that work? Mm. And in my mind, I'm like, that's not even possible. Like the net's so high up. (laughs) Yeah. Is the net the same height? No. So the volleyball net is a lot shorter. I think it's 1.2 meters. Okay. I believe for the woman's height. And is the court the same size? No, it's smaller as well. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But in my mind, I'm like, okay, the volleyball net's like way above your head. (laughs) How would you get this over? So I had to watch videos and see kind of how it worked. So she was the first person that told me about sitting volleyball. She was super helpful and everything. And then my doctor kind of started talking to me. He's like, hey, a couple years ago, I had another girl that I did surgery on. She's super active and she's actually coming in tomorrow to meet with me and just kind of have like a checkup. If you want, I can send her up and she can talk to you. She's a baloney amputee as well. And I was like, yeah, that'd be great to see how like an athlete that's gone through an amputation and an accident, see how like they're doing in their life. Yeah. She was a part of the sitting volleyball team as well. I was like, okay, does everybody oh. play volleyball? <laughs> she came into the hospital. She kind of told me her life story. She was in a boating accident and she explained to me more about sitting volleyball. I was like, okay, sounds interesting. (laughs) Once she talked to me, I thought about it a little bit and then it was just kind of out of my mind for a while. I was still in the hospital, still trying to recover. In the hospital, I had a lot of family members visit me and I was just trying to stay busy. They told me that I was supposed to be in the hospital for, I think they quoted me three or four months. And in my head, I'm like, there's no way I'm sitting in this bed for three or four months. Like, that's just not happening. (laughs) Oh, man. I was very determined to get out of the hospital sooner. And within three weeks, they were finally able to release me from the hospital. Three weeks instead of three months. Nice work. (laughs) Thank you. I was pretty impressed with it myself. (laughs) At first, they sent me home and said, okay, we'll send you home for like a little test run, see how you can do. They sent me home for a weekend because at the time I was in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. I had to keep my leg elevated. Things went well. I came back. I was like, yeah, it'll be fine. We're moving my bedroom up to the main floor. There's a bathroom there. So I can use a washroom by myself. I can get in and out of my bedroom. It'll be fine. Mm. I stayed one more night in the hospital and then they officially released me to go home. And I think going home was almost harder for me mentally than being in the hospital 
because that's where I lived my normal life before. That's where I was mm-hmm. paid in that played on the soccer team, paid in that did everything and was just active. And now I'm sitting in my house in a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. All the differences are just screaming at you. Lost your independence in that moment. Yeah. And that's the part that I hated the most. I lost all my independence. I rely on my parents for everything. It was so hard for me to ask for so much help. I needed help to grab food. I needed help to get around the house, even like half the time to get onto the toilet. Like I needed help adjusting my wheelchair so I could scoot over. Mm. That was so hard on my mind being a 19 year old and Mm -hmm. being stuck in a wheelchair. And not only a 19 year old, but a very active athletic involved one at that. Yeah. And so at that point, I just kind of started having a really hard body image almost on myself. I kept telling my boyfriend at the time, just like, if you want to leave me, like you can leave me. It's fine. I understand. And like deep down hoping that he wasn't going to leave me. But feeling broken. Yeah, exactly. He reassured me multiple times saying that he wasn't going to go anywhere. And Mm. luckily he didn't. He's stuck with me now. So (laughs) it was super hard being a young active female and losing your whole life. I mean, all I ever did was do sports. As soon as I was out of high school, I went college to play sports. Yeah. I didn't exactly know what I was supposed to do next with my life. Mm. And then my brother found out about war amps. War Amps is an association that helps young amputees financially and just kind of give them an outreach program. So they had reached out to me and they're like, hey, we heard about your story. What can we do to help? And they told me that they wanted to send a girl over to visit me. She's from Saskatoon and she was in a lawnmower accident as well a couple of years ago. Mm. And she's super active. I think your personalities would be a good mix. And we're like, yeah, sure. That sounds fine. And so they flew her over and I got a visit with her. And again, she was on the sitting volleyball team. (laughs) How many hits does it take? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, just tell me more about this sport. It's the only one I'm hearing about. So tell me all about it. We actually ended up going to a gym and like playing a little bit of it. We passed a ball around. I was like, okay, Mm. this is fun. I reached out to the coach. I was like, my name's Peyton. I've heard about your sport through a couple of girls. I played a little bit of volleyball in high school. I played soccer in college. Just wondering if I could come try out for you guys. Mm -hmm. And so she emailed me back. She's like, yeah, of course. We train in Edmonton. We'll hook you up in a hotel and then you can come practice with us and see if you like it. So when I finally went up to the first practice, it was either May or June of 2019. So I'm almost oh. at my year mark in oh, July. Oh my word. Yeah. <laughs> Fast track. I'm in crutches. I finally have a prosthetic. How long did it take to get your prosthetic? I think it took me three months. Okay. So I got my prosthetic, but my left foot still had to be elevated. So I wasn't allowed to wear it constantly. Oh, okay. They told me I could wear it for five minutes. And then that was kind of it for the day. Next day, five minutes and slowly increase it that way. I was in an air cast on my left foot for a year and a half, I Mm. think. Not only did shoes not fit me because my heel was the size of golf ball, I had to buy like pants because skinny jeans and cuffed sweats did not fit over my fat heel. (laughs) I took the semester off because I had to with being in the hospital. And then I went back to school in January. So I moved 
out of my parents' house. I moved to Lethbridge with my friend who was also on the soccer team and we're in a duplex. So as soon as you walk into the door, it's stairs to go upstairs to the kitchen mm. or stairs to go downstairs to the bedroom. So I did a lot of stairs on my crutches. I did a lot of walking around and trying to carry things awkwardly. So I have a prosthetic on one side and an air cast and crutches. And I just had a lot going on. <laughs> that was like shoving you into the deep end, eh? That was an intense boot camp for you right away. Boot camp. Oh, yeah. Again, no pun intended. <laughs> I'm on fire. <laughs> boom. Yeah. So I'm happy I did it, but I was like, I got to get back to normal life. So I just threw myself back into school. What were you taking in school? I was just in general studies. I'm in the pre-education program okay. right now at the University of Lethbridge. It's a good university. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We both went there too. <laughs> so you went to Edmonton for this tryout and it's spring of 2019. Yeah. About a year after your accident, mm-hmm. but not too long before competition begins. So what's that process like? Yeah. At the first camp, we finished it and the coach really didn't say much to me the entire camp. She just said, do what drills that you feel comfortable with and just kind of do whatever you want. So I just threw myself into every drill. I was like, well, I'm not going to sit here and watch. So I just went into the drills. The girls kind of helped me along. They were super friendly. Uh And then at the end of the camp, I'm like getting ready to leave. I was like, okay, like coach still hasn't said anything to me. Maybe she doesn't need me on the team or something. So all these thoughts are just running through my head. I'm like, I got cut, like I didn't make the team. And in my head, I was like, this has never happened to me before. (laughs) All that doubt starts to come in. Yeah. So I'm just doubting myself so hard. And finally, she comes out and she's told me that I did a really good job. And if I wanted to, I was welcome to join the team. Mm. And I was like, awesome. Yeah, like I'd love to. (laughs) I believe it was either that week or the next week they were going to Japan for a little tournament. Oh, just a wee little tournament in Japan. (laughs) Yeah. So I wasn't attending that one, obviously, because I didn't even know how to play the sport. But she invited me to come to Lima, Peru, because at that point I had a couple practices in. I mean, Lima was in August, right? Wow. So I was thrown into that pretty quick. No kidding. It was such a cool experience to see so many people Mm. with different physical disabilities and abilities Mm -hmm. that they had. Yeah. Like to me, I lived in a small town. I was the only person I knew with a prosthetic. I knew one older gentleman that was in a farming accident, but he didn't wear a prosthetic. His was his arm. Mm. It was so weird to see all the different types of prosthetics yeah. above, below knee, and see people achieving things in wheelchairs that I was so depressed about being in, but they were doing things that I definitely could not mm. do. Have you seen anything with murder ball, a.k.a. wheelchair rugby? (laughs) Yeah, I was a little sad. I didn't get to see any of the teams compete because we were so busy with volleyball. Oh, yeah. But I kind of got to hear about it and like watch videos of it all. So that Mm -hmm. was really cool. It's pretty inspiring, hey? So just over a year after having this massive trauma, you get connected to a team. You are now in Lima, Peru at the Parapan Am Games. I mean, what a big change in your life. Wow. It's so weird to think like, just like a year ago, I was laying on the ground, having my whole life change. And now I'm in a foreign country, still playing sports. Mm -hmm. Wearing the Maple Leaf, representing Canada amongst all of these athletes, sharing pins, Mm -hmm. right? That's something that many people might not know. (laughs) All these pins that we get from trading them for people around the world and 
eating together in the big room when that was cool and kosher before uh before <laughs> pre-covid yeah. was your family yeah. able to go or anybody no oh, they okay. didn't go had i known you were there i definitely would have made an attempt to cheer you guys on we mm. were between lowell's races my parents came as well and we have two kids and okay. we went to machu picchu the amazon and then we did a like city tour around lima and this was all within like 11 days like it was crazy <laughs> how often do you got to go to peru so we just had to fit it all in i wish i would have stayed longer yeah. so i could have done machu picchu and stuff so we were in the same hotel at the same place and eating in the same room so it's it's pretty neat yeah. we wear That's the same so clothes crazy. now <laughs> yeah. yeah in my mind i'm thinking i'm the only person from way southern alberta but there you two were <laughs> <laughs> so where are most of the rest of your teammates from Four are from Edmonton. We have one girl from Calgary. Two are from BC. One is from Saskatchewan, the girl that met me. And then we have two from the East Coast. Okay. So then practical question, mm -hmm. how do you guys train together or not at all now because of COVID? So luckily we are still able to train. Everybody flies in. So if you're from Alberta, we drive. So I think I have the longest drive. My drive's five and a half hours to get to the Seville Center. And then the girls from BC and the girls from the East all fly in. Okay, to Edmonton? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so right now we're staying in Airbnbs. And to kind of keep everyone safe, we have to test before we leave. So for me, since I drive, I just have to do the one test. But if you're flying in, you have to get tested before flying. And then once you arrive in Edmonton. Wow. Okay. And so now you have your sights set on Tokyo. Yeah. By the time we share this episode, who knows what'll be happening. We're crossing everything that it happens. <laughs> so assuming it does, what are your thoughts? My first thought is just so crazy. I remember from being a little kid, I always wanted to go to the Olympics. Like that's a dream for every athlete as a young kid. And then in high school, a lot of kids get told you'll be lucky if you go to college for sports. And that was kind of my thought right out of high school is I'm probably just done sports. High school's over and then I got to play college. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, for sure. Once I'm done college, that's the end of my sport career. And now I achieve my dream. Like I get to go and play in the Paralympics and be a part of that whole atmosphere. And it's so exciting. This is something I've thought of since I was little. Mm. And with the circumstances I've been through, like no one would ever really think this girl's going to go to the Paralympics and represent Canada. So cool. I'm still having a hard time processing it. it yeah. All. Yeah. <laughs> and what are your thoughts on uh, Team Canada's denim outfits? Oh my. <laughs> graffiti, graffiti <laughs> denim for the uh, closing ceremonies for people who don't know, go check them out. And They're white online. Jeans. I've definitely seen the pictures when they came out of like, is this like a April Fool's joke? <laughs> I was really shocked. <laughs> just to be clear, I would definitely wear it, but it just doesn't really scream like athlete. <laughs> well, it's going to be like 40 degrees in Tokyo and you're going to be wearing a full denim suit, right? The <laughs> oh, denim yeah. tuxedo. The so yeah. good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Jeans were not comfortable. Like those ceremonies, at least for Peru, like it was a long way to get in. And for cyclists like Lola, yeah. like the denim jeans, like there's no way those yeah. would go over his quads. <laughs> so they had those pants from oh. Peru. And if you remember the black ones that were like the closing the ceremony, pants. the dress pants, they weren't stretchy. <laughs> and so like our quads for a cyclist, I mean, we couldn't really wear them. And when you sit down, they didn't really 
move and a bunch of the cyclists just left the pants in Peru. (laughs) (laughs) But what you guys are both wearing right now, these Team Canada shirts are on point. And this is I'm wearing the sweater that I had made to cheer on. Yeah. I like she it. gets the Lululemon custom know, Canada ridiculous. sweater. <laughs> the sweater is Lululemon. The design is a local shop. Yeah. I do love our Lululemon gear that we get occasionally. <laughs> That's really fun. So this is a wild ride. This obstacle in your life that comes and can derail your life. And many people can get bitter and you're choosing to become better. It seems like you had that mindset right off the beginning. What is the mindset that helps somebody get over a moment like this, this trauma? I think for me, the biggest thing was you can't change it. You can't go back. There's no way that you can go back in time and be like, okay, I'm not going to mow the lawn. It's not an option. So you have to continue the rest of your life. And why live your life miserable? There's so many things that you can make out of your life, no matter your circumstances. One of the biggest things for me that kind of made me realize that I was going to be okay was when I was first sitting in the hospital room. I was in the burn trauma unit and my door was always open and I swear they did this on purpose. (laughs) I saw a lot of patients walking down the hallway that were burnt head to toe. They were amputated on both sides, their hands were gone, and their hair was gone. I saw these ladies walking outside in the hall. She was all dressed up. She had a very cute, sunny dress on and she had a smile on her face every day. And I'm Mm. like, okay, if she can go through that trauma and be out in the hallways, walking around and being happy, like I can deal with losing my one leg. I realized at that time that this wasn't the worst thing that had ever happened to a human. Mine was very minor compared to things that other people went through. And so that was one thing that snapped me out of that mindset really quick was seeing other people and being thankful for what happened to me because it could have been a lot worse. And then just seeing the impact that I had on a lot of people out of the hospital. I've got to talk with a lot of schools and different sports and just seeing how different kids will look up to me has been really inspiring for myself. Mm. I never thought I was going to be somebody's role model or anything. And so it's been really cool to see different young kids that are also amputees kind of look up to me. And even being in Peru, like seeing people come up to you and wanting your autograph, that is something that I thought only famous people got. And it was just amazing Mm -hmm. to see all that love towards myself as well. And just being like, people care about me. They care about my story and they're moved by my life. Mm -hmm. You had people in your life, like the the ladies from Sit Volleyball who had amputations. You had them to talk to and look up to. And now... So many people have you. Yeah, it's a big circle. The family that I'm now a part of with sport was so welcoming. So I just want to be the same way Mm -hmm. to other young athletes coming into this world. Through this time, what are the kindest things people have done or said to you to help give you hope to move through this? I think the kindest would have to be my parents. They were pretty patient with me coming home from the hospital. I definitely was a pretty moody teenager (laughs) coming home in a wheelchair. You should ask your mom to compare it to her birthing experience, Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, which was worse. <laughs> so many people in my community did fundraisers for me. 
they didn't need to, but they did because they wanted to help me out as much as they can. Prosthetics are extremely expensive. Mm. It's definitely a financial burden having to pay for them. Mm -hmm. My community was so helpful. I had kids bring their bottles into the bottle depot, having uh, earned a couple dollars and saying, this is for Payton. So sweet. I had a couple kids on the baseball team writing, playing for Payton on their cleat. Mm. And my soccer team had rallied together and fundraised for me playing soccer. And there were so many people doing different little programs to help me financially. Mm. And just to know that they support me and that they were here for me. Where my whole life, I kind of just thought I was kind of under the radar. Didn't think people really knew about me. But once my accident happened, my Instagram was blowing up with messages. People were posting, praying for Peyton. And it was crazy because I was very aware at that time. I wasn't in a coma. So I could see all these things coming in. Like I saw the messages. I got a reply to people. And I got to see people wishing me the very best and hoping that I would pull through because there was a couple times there where we didn't know what it was going to look like. I Mm. had one situation in the hospital where I flatlined on the machines. Mm. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. So I was just kind of keeping everyone in the community on their toes (laughs) throughout my journey. So I was just so thankful for them. Being able to see a small community like that really come together was so moving, especially when you're the center of it. I'm just so thankful to be in a small town. Yeah, I'm not surprised at all at the response of your community. Lowell Payton said she's LDS. So as soon as you ask that question, I'm like, that community steps up. There's going to be some, uh, (laughs) definitely some tales of kindness coming out of that one. Mm -hmm. That's awesome to be in a supportive community. Mm -hmm. It's amazing to see how the best in humanity can come out when we start to pay attention to our similarities, our humanness, and we Mm -hmm. can take care of each other. And that's what we are missing a lot in society. And the power of that can be deeply healing. And I'm glad that you had that experience. I'm interested in this idea of brokenness for you. You were young and fit and healthy and now missing a leg. What does that word mean to you, broken? I definitely see like two parts of it. I see the part where you have something ripped apart and you can never exactly get it back to the shape that it was in. But then I also see a part of it where you can make improvements on it. Mm. So there's definitely times in my life where I'll just sit on the bed and be like, I don't want this to be my life. I don't want to be an amputee. Like I'd give anything to have the life back that I had. Mm -hmm. But then I look at the life that I have gained these last almost three years now. And it's almost hard to balance it. I've had all these experiences. I've had these impacts. Do I really want to give that up to just have a leg back again and finish playing sports probably in my fifth year of college and then that be it? Where now I can go on for as long as I want, essentially, and I can reach out to people. I can travel the world. I can make a difference. Mm. I have a bigger voice than I did before. Yeah. And so it's definitely hard to think, okay, do I think I'm broken now or am I improved? Mm. I still, to this day, will juggle between the two. Sometimes Mm -hmm. my head just gets running and it's just too much for me. And I don't like my appearance. I miss how I looked with two legs. I felt like I was prettier. I was more athletic, but I don't know if Peyton three years ago could have done the things that I'm doing now. 
Beautiful. So it's definitely hard to yeah. compare the two because I feel like I'm such a different person now. Mm-hmm. Well, especially given that she's going to Japan, you should tell her about kintsugi. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard the word kintsugi. Very relevant for you. Yeah, it's a Japanese art form, which means the art of precious scars. And the idea is that if you take this piece of pottery, a jar, a cup, bowl, and it breaks in the art form of kintsugi, you bring it back together and you connect the pieces back with gold. And now you have more character and value and worth and beauty because of your scars. I love that. <laughs> so seeing that brokenness as beauty, there was pain, there's suffering, and there's some pieces that are shattered and right. There's parts of you that you'll never get back. But within that, you do have more depth and beauty and the golden repair that has happened is actually allowing yourself through vulnerability to connect and share your brokenness with others, which will lead to connection and hope for them. Hey, I love that so much. <laughs> That's so good. And very appropriate that it's Japanese and mm. you, yeah. my friend, are headed to Japan. <laughs> so you have a pretty amazing story there, Peyton. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you so much. <laughs> what have you learned about love through this process in your life? Love shows very strongly through actions. Loving my husband, I was very scared that he was going to leave me because of my appearance. Mm. I'm like, he's not going to want a wife with one leg. He's not going to want this lifestyle. And he showed very positively through his actions that he wasn't going to just leave because of something that had happened. He was here for me and he showed that every day through his actions. He was there constantly with me in the hospital. He gave up a lot of his weekends from work just to drive up there and see me. And he literally backpacked me everywhere. He'd carry me when I didn't want to be in the wheelchair. He'd carry me to go to the bathroom this is the type of person that I need in my life and I want in my life. And my parents did the same thing. They gave up so many things because they loved me so much. They had to renovate their house because I couldn't get around it in my wheelchair. Mm. Actions is definitely one of the things that I see so much in love. I had a lot of people that I was close with that I expected to reach out to me. And it was some of those people that didn't say a word to me. And so that was really hard for me to realize like, okay, those aren't the people that I thought were going to be here. But I saw a lot of people that stepped up for me that I didn't realize cared as much about me. People that I really hadn't even talked to that just kind of knew me through the community were those that checked up on me every day to see how I was doing, if they could do anything. And that was just something that showed me so much love. That's amazing. Yeah, that sounds so special. I had one more quick question, just tracking back to volleyball. I don't think I asked. We've talked to a couple of wheelchair basketball and rugby players and they said that they have the full range of ability really on their teams like some are always in wheelchairs but some use prosthetics and walk so what's the range of ability on your team and then classification yeah yeah and what's the classification system so i'm not very educated in our whole classification system most of our team does have some sort of amputation We have one girl that does have all of her limbs. She has, again, I don't know the proper naming for it, but she has some kind of muscle defect in her legs. And also for interest's sake, describe to us a sit volleyball match. Is it the same, same points? What's the serving? So just how many people on the court? Kind of describe it to us. Volleyball was my forte. (laughs) I did not play it beyond high school. Anyways, carry on. (laughs) The court is smaller, the net's lower, and you play on your butt the whole time. 
A couple of things that are different is we can block a serve where you can't do that in standing volleyball. Mm. Our butt is not allowed to come off the ground. If it comes off of the ground, the play ends, loss a point, and it goes to the next team. I'd be impressed if someone's butt came off the ground. Like the, if they're just like jumping with their butts. Oh, trust me. Well, when you're like reaching a block, oh, you yeah, kind of like true. go up onto your like knees kind of you try. Oh, and so then your okay, butt okay. comes off the ground. I was just thinking like bouncing up and down on your butt. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. No, we, we don't jump on our butt too often. I've seen it happen. Okay. But that would hurt. Okay. It's not a common thing, but it's the same as volleyball. We have a setter. We have set attackers. We run shoots. We run thirties. We run high balls. We have a libero that rotates in and out. You run middles. Are there six on the court at once? Yeah. Six on the court. Our game goes a lot quicker because the ball doesn't go as high mm. and you can't move as quick. So the ball itself is moving a lot faster, but I mean, skill wise, it's the same as standing. You're attacking, you're setting, you're bumping, you're doing those same aspects, but you don't get to run around on your feet. Mm-hmm. You get to scoot around on your butt. Yeah. What's a typical rally? I find at least with sitting volleyball, there's a lot more tipping almost just because the ball is coming so fast. You have to have a pretty perfect pass to get a hit on that third ball. Same with standing. Like you can get some rallies that go for quite a while, but then you can also have some rallies that end pretty quick, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's very much a placement game. Like if you're good at placing the ball in certain zones, then you're going to score a lot. You just got to find those sweet spots. Yeah. (laughs) And what does your training look like now when you're away from the team and there's a pandemic (laughs) and you're at home? Yeah. Training has been so difficult. I mean, one month the weight centers are open, the next month they're shut down. Trying to stay in shape and continue training has been so hard for me. For a while there, there was a local family that was building a house that had built a gym inside their house that they were letting me use. So I got to use that for a while, which was so nice. And then my mother-in-law has kind of converted her garage into a workout gym. So I've been getting to work out there. So I've been getting practice in, but definitely not as much as I feel like I need for myself and that I would have got out of COVID world. But we've been making it work as best as we can. I have a hard time staying motivated. I'm the type of person that needs to go to the gym and just put those headphones on and just kind of go into the zone. This sounds like the exact kind of thing that um, the amazing LDS community can uh, fundraise for and uh, get paid in a home (laughs) gym, hey? (laughs) Yeah, let's give me a home gym. Yeah, I think we should start (laughs) that that. one. (laughs) It's our hope that you get to Tokyo, that you're able to live out this dream, and there might be more disappointment coming. We're all kind of on the edge of our seats to see if we're able to go to Tokyo, if it's going to happen or not. But I hope it does for you. And until then, continue to dig deep, live big, love deeply. And we would like to share your story through the podcast, but also how could people follow along? I do post just on my personal Instagram page, Peyton Ver. I really just post my life. I'm not like a super big social media person. I don't post a lot, but occasionally I've made a couple of posts about the first time getting back on a lawnmower and just... Oh, what was that like? It actually wasn't as bad. I thought I was going to have a lot of fears running through my mind. I didn't get back on a zero turn lawnmower. I don't know if I ever will just because I find them dangerous now. Well, no kidding. 
Do you even know how you got flown off? We don't. We did have our lawnmower taken to an engineer to kind of see what was happening there. They were actually able to kind of recreate the lawnmower bucking. Oh. And so they have a video of their engineer getting bucked on this lawnmower. And so they think it's some kind of problem with the actual brand of the mower. They found out if you put the throttle forward to move and then pull back, it kind of sets it into that bucking motion. So we don't really know if it was something manufacturer that went wrong or if it was just bad luck. Yeah, sounds like a bit of a liability, but (laughs) okay. But yeah, so my Instagram page, I'll just kind of post like my first attempts at doing things. The first time I surfed and slalom skiing and it's kind of the first for being an amputee for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. It's learning how to do something new and you couldn't do it when your kid learned to walk. So this is your chance learning to do things now with, with one leg. And literally it, that's kind of been the fun part of it is like when you're a kid, you really don't remember your first time, but like I got to relearn how to walk, which that part was frustrating, but like relearning how to ski and surf, it's a challenge for me. And I love being in challenging situations. It feels like a competition for me. I feel the adrenaline. I kind of have a crowd watching me. I find it really exciting trying new things that I've done before with two legs, but doing it how I am now. Yeah. Give you a bit of a rush. Well, Peyton, thank you so much for taking this time out of your day for us and chatting with us. Yeah, and for having me. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> Best of luck on your journey to Tokyo. And beyond. Yes, and thank beyond. You. Okay. <laughs> Take care, Peyton. Awesome. Great to meet you. <laughs> See ya. Bye. That was sure nice meeting another local para-athlete, wasn't it, Lowell? Yeah, it's so new in her life. This is only 2018. Like, this wasn't very long ago. Oh. And the journey she's been on in the last three years, not even three years, has been incredible. She has a mindset of overcoming, of wanting to take on challenges. She has an amazing community support system. She's learned lessons about love and overcoming. She's still struggling with those ideas of change body and body appearance and being different and it's a big thing she has to continue to journey on but she has such a great mindset it's really encouraging to hear how she's gotten through this mm-hmm. and personally i think that people like Peyton who have a prosthetic in one leg i think it makes them even more beautiful mm-hmm. the amazing thing about being a part of the paralympic movement and this idea that it's inclusivity it's all of us have a unique impairment or disability or something we need to overcome and you see people with confidence you see people doing things without limbs that you can't even imagine it's really exciting and so for her to be around these other amazing individuals it's a big part of the healing process Mm. and it would be much harder to overcome these challenges without that community of people now she gets to join that world of people who gets to inspire and help others through their pain and she gets to be a paralympian which is awesome Did you know that when I was in grade four or so, I drew a picture of myself on a podium at the Olympics for beach volleyball? That's cool. Did I follow through on that? No, I did not. It's not too late. No, trust me, it's too late. Those muscles don't really work anymore. I do miss it, though. That was my forte in high school. I loved it so, so much. Well, hopefully, Peyton and the Sid Volleyball Canadian team get to Tokyo and they can get on the podium Mm. and... That can be that that picture coming true. Yeah. <laughs> All these dreams. So, I will be living vicariously through you, Peyton. So. Absolutely. <laughs>
Thank you, everybody, for listening in. Hope oh, I was going to say, we need to start thanking all our listeners for all the lovely messages. Now, we have enough episodes under our belt that people are reaching out to us and we're getting so many kind mm. comments and feedback. And thank you so much. They just fill our hearts with joy every time we read one of them. And even on Apple Podcasts, when people subscribe, rate, and review, it just, oh, gosh, makes me feel like a million bucks. <laughs> we do like the feedback. It feels great to know that we're doing this and people are listening and they're, they're out there. So if you're out there and you're listening, hey, thanks. And we want to make sure that this is top quality, that you're enjoying, that we are helping to share these amazing, incredible stories of overcoming and empowering mindsets. Superhumans. Superhumans. Awesome. All right. Until next time, take care. Bye. Bye.